So we are live. If you're joining us live, give you a second to switch it over. Are we live? All right. So thank you for joining us live at HBF tonight. And uh, we are here. This is uh, you tuned in for the child uh, training series that is no longer on. So but you can always ask questions if you need to, to uh, ask a question about that. So um, uh, I, I got two options. I got something prepared, but I also could do QA. So are there any burning questions before I, I move on to a more Christmas-oriented study? I'd say no. All right, so if you have your Bibles, uh, if you come up with something, let me know. We can always we can always get in the middle of something. So um, I want to just take and, and uh, do something a little unorthodox, and uh, it's going to be um, out of Second Corinthians chapter 9. But I thought since it's Christmas season, I want to talk to you about gifts and uh, the gift of Christ. I've been talking about putting Christ in Christmas on on Sunday uh, mornings. And this week I'll be finishing that up on Sunday morning at uh, 1030. Uh, we're going to have a great time, by the way. If you're looking for a church service on Christmas Eve, Sunday morning, uh, we will be having our church service. And uh, it'll be good. We are not having a uh, evening candlelight service this year, uh, but we will have one next year. So... Uh, so keep that in mind. Be ready for that next year. All right. So Paul in the Bible in Second Corinthians chapter nine, uh, he says this. He says um, in verse fifteen, "Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift." Now, if you know much about uh, what Paul's talking about there, he's talking about not just you know the, the gift of eternal life, but uh, the gift of grace that uh, God is bestowing upon him through the church there at uh, Corinth. But I wanted to talk about, um, you know, the gift of, of Christ. Is This is a time of gift-giving and time of exchanging gifts. And so um, the gift of Christ, um, I think it starts with our, you know, what he's talking about is obviously unspeakable. You know, the, uh, Paul used the Greek word here that only appears one time in Scripture. The word is if I can pronounce this right, anik dagidos. So you can forget that word as soon as I say it. That's something we won't ever use again. Uh, but it's no other place in the New Testament. And uh, it's it literally means uh, indescribable or unable to put it into words. And so there's some things that God gives us that uh, are just un, undescribable. Um, God, is as uh, Jeff likes to point out, is, is awesome. He's truly awesome. Um, and so it doesn't mean, though, however, even though it's unspeakable, there may not be words for it. It's not something that you ever have something where you don't have words to describe it. It's just it like overwhelmed you. It's awesome. Um, uh, it doesn't mean you can't talk about it. Uh, but the gift <clears throat> uh, is something, obviously, he is talking about. He just couldn't come up with the words to describe the wonderful gift, which comes from Jesus Christ. And... Um, and so if you back up in the chapter, in Second Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, First, touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write unto you, for I know the, the forwardness of your mind, for which uh, I boast of you to them of Macedonia, uh, that Achaia uh, was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain uh, in this uh, behalf that as i said you may be ready thus happily if they of macedonia come with me and find you unprepared um that we 
say not ye should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. And so obviously it's not right to boast, but he's actually in essence saying, I'm bragging about y'all to the church at Macedonia. If we were to go back, uh, and he's talking about a, f- a financial gift. He says, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had uh, noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of uh, covetousness. So he's saying, you know, set aside what is, you know, over and above for the, the cause of which you committed. But I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. So you want to give a lot because you're going to get a lot, right? It's a good investment. Uh, but this I say, he which soweth sparing, or verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So he's actually is talking about giving financially here uh, to um, the saints that are, in, uh, that are, there's a dearth in Jerusalem, and this is what the offering is for. It's sort of like our missionary offerings coming up this Sunday. And so this is a good night to talk about that. God is able to make up uh, all grace, or God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound in every good work. So now he transitions from giving financially to giving in the ministry, the work of the ministry. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, and he hath given to the poor. Uh, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he which ministereth seed to the sower... Both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown uh, and the increase of the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. And so now he's praising them uh, for their gifts. And he says, uh, for the administration of the service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgiving unto God. So God's getting blessed from the thanksgiving. Whilst by the experiment um, of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and your liberal distribution unto them and all and all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you have exceeding, <coughs> I'm sorry, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Now you have a context to what Paul's talking about. He's not talking only about finances, but he's actually talking about the grace that is given to them. Now, if you back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 1, he talks about these Macedonians. And he says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. We need you to know about this. You need to witness this of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So he's talking about their grace as well. How that in great trial of affliction, uh, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. And so we don't really talk like that much anymore. But what he's saying is that in the middle of trial and affliction, they have so much joy uh, that in the midst of their deep poverty, they were able to give generously. Uh, he says in verse 3, 4, to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So this gift, again, this is the gift that they're talking about. He's talking about in chapter 9 is that, he, they were so fired up by the testimony of the Corinthians that they gave these poor people in Macedonia gave over and above their ability uh, so that they could be part of blessing the church at Jerusalem that was uh, being persecuted at the time. It'd be like us taking up a special offering for the saints in a, maybe Arissa or some persecuted place, some place in the Middle East, or uh, there's a number of places we could send uh, you know, relief. 
uh, in those situations. And so he says, insomuch that we desire that, that Titus said that, that as he had begun, uh, so he also would finish in you the same grace also in verse 6. So he's really carrying that forward into chapter 9 about, you know what, let's go ahead and just allow God to increase our giving. Um, and so our need is as large as God's gift. You know, when you think about the gift uh, kind of transitioning back to Christmas, um, you know, how big is the, how big is the need? Um, well, it's as big as the, as the gift. And when you think about it in terms of Christmas, how big was the need of humanity? And if you're watching online, there's like 300 people here right now, so it's hard to hear all the answers. But uh, <laughs> there's, it's a, uh, you think about Jesus Christ, you know, you guys know John 3:16, right? For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the need was as big as the world. So the gift was as big, big enough to save the world. Uh, Jesus Christ obviously is the gift of God. Christmas is coming. And when we think about the gift uh, and gift giving, you know, um, we think about the wise men and all of those things. But really, Jesus Christ is the gift, John three sixteen, And Jesus explained this to the woman at the well. If you have your Bibles, look over at, uh, at uh, John chapter 4. <clears throat> And you guys are familiar with the woman at the well. John chapter 4 and verse 11. The Bible says here, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then uh, hast that living water? Right? And uh, where are you going to get that living water that you're talking about? You guys know the story. And it goes on to say, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself? And his children and his cattle. She's like, hey, I got a need here, and, and it's it's a pretty big need. And you're saying that uh, if you back up, to, he, Jesus answered in verse 10 and says unto her, that thou knewest the gift of God, which is where I should have started, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. That's what she's responding to. She's saying, what are you talking about? I mean, are you saying, you know, I'm here at this famous location um, uh, where Jacob's well, Jacob's well, and this is a well that, you know, um, you know, even Samaritans and Jews could agree on. It was Jacob's well. Are you greater than Jacob? And, of course, that's his answer is, yeah, I am. In verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again to answer your question. Uh, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water uh, that I thirst not, neither come thither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And uh, and he whom thou now uh, hast is not thy husband. In this thou saidest truly. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, ye know not what. 
And we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and is now, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. All right, so the famous verse, verse 24, For God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him, him in spirit and truth. And so we were talking Sunday morning how Adam, right, was was made a, a living soul, but Jesus is a quickening spirit. And so uh, we see here that, that Jesus explained to this woman at the well that, that, well, I'm the gift, right? The water that I give you will, will make you where you'll never thirst again. I'm the gift. And, yes, I am greater than Jacob. Like he formed Jacob. He gave Jacob the covenant. He created the well that they were at. I mean, he is the creator. And, of course, she finally tunes into the reality that he's the Messiah. And, uh, John, if you just flip back another chapter, go back to verse 17. We all know John 3:16, But uh, he goes on to say in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. It doesn't say it will be saved. It says it might be saved. Um, he that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So our Calvinist friends have to do gymnastics through these verses to try to, you know, say that, you know, God is sovereign and the world doesn't mean the world and so on and so forth. But it's pretty clear in the text that belief is the key. You've got to believe. Uh, and obviously we know receive the gift of eternal life, which is Jesus Christ. And so obviously in John 3, he's dealing with Israel's faith. But uh, after, the, after his ascension, he deals with our faith individually. We call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And so... Uh, Jesus explained to that woman in the next chapter uh, that he was the water that satisfied. And here the gift of eternal life is is needed uh, oftentimes more than it's wanted. Isn't that something to think about? Like the gift of eternal life is needed. It's so big of a need that God brought it. He he allowed a God-sized gift, like a worldwide gift that could be offered that would take care of the sin of the world. Yet the world doesn't necessarily want it, the gift they need. It's like, hey, I got a cure for cancer. I don't want it if I had, say I had cancer. You know, and you don't want it? Why don't you want it? Well, I guess you want to die. That's exactly, I mean, if you want to live eternally, you, you need to receive the gift of eternal life. But not everybody wants the gift. And he makes that very clear. Uh, and when I do share the gospel, by the way, I always like to point out, and you only get this in your King James Bible, by the way, in verse 16, it says, you should not perish. In verse 17, you might be saved. Um, and so the absolute nature of salvation, it, it's not really secured until you get to the Pauline epistles. And it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? Because at this time, it's a question. And Nicodemus, that's who he's talking to. Are you going to be saved? You might be. You should be. Will you be and, uh, you know, that's really true. A lot of people can hear the gospel, but that doesn't, just because you hear the gospel doesn't mean you believe it and receive it. You've got to receive the gift. I can go out, you know, sometimes you buy those uh, gift cards at Christmas, right? And, uh, but they're of no value to somebody if they, never, if they never use it. You know, you paid for it. You paid for the gift. God's paid for the gift. But people got to actually receive the gift. And, and then, of course, uh, we don't work our way to heaven. I want to be clear about that. Jesus Christ's finished work is all we have, and we got to put our faith in him. But the gift of eternal life is often needed more than it's wanted. That's unbelievable. And that's because there's a campaign. 
just like you would have uh, a campaign, uh, you know, you're, if you've been out and about this week, everywhere you go, what, are they, what do you hear in your ears? You hear Christmas music like I can hear across the hall, which is good. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, I think when it comes to church, what we hear across the street or across the street, across the hall, well, what, that's coming from a sincere heart. But there's also people who want to put on Christmas music so you'll open up your wallet. Like I'm walking through Walmart and I'm hearing all this Christmas music. I thought, you know, isn't that, aren't they just really into Jesus around here at Walmart? You know, I don't think so. I think what they're really into is making me feel like I need to buy gifts, right? And so if they could see, if they could put a song in that subliminally says, spend more money, spend more money, that's what they're going to do. Because that's really what, for them, that's what the season's about. That's why you can't, you know, you can't even get out of Thanksgiving without having to deal with Black Friday. I'm like, good night, people. Can't you just let us, you know, enjoy enjoy Thanksgiving before we have to go out and, and uh, you know, start dealing with Christmas? Yeah, no doubt. Christmas songs in July. It, guys, and if you don't if you don't believe this, you need to go like to Brazil. So like when Harold and Tammy were in Brazil, I happened to be down there uh, during Christmas season. And of course, in Brazil, it's Southern Hemisphere, and they're on the very they're on the south end of, when they were down there on the south end of Brazil. So it's not the it's not the hottest part of Brazil, but it's still temperately warm. Not any snow. There's no fir trees. You know, you're not going to get that there. I mean, it's like Texas. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's probably a little warmer than Texas, South Texas, uh, and uh, Florida, right? Kind of climate. And you know, they got Christmas trees and they got Santa Clauses, and completely foreign to the culture. Uh, and yet they're, they they work all of that marketing, uh, and you know what? And they got the because they want to get that money going and spend it. But our gift is a is a gift of eternal life. You can't even afford it, and it's given to us from God. So what makes the appearance of of uh, Jesus so special is his purpose. Now let's we're in John. Let's back up to Luke chapter two. Uh, Luke two and verse eight. Does anybody want to read? Luke 2 and verse 8. I know there's throngs of people here that want to read tonight, but I only can select one. <laughs> Luke 2, 8. No. Yeah, Luke 2. You got to do it on the mic, though, so Bobby can hear us. Luke 2, uh, 8 through 14. You guys have a mic up there? I will not throw this. It's a liability. I saw Kenley Jones, who will have my hide. There you go. If you're watching online, I'm out of the frame for now. <laughs> I'm All right. Luke 2, 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So uh, do, do verse 14. Okay. And lo... The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Jesus Christ the Lord. Which is Christ the Lord, excuse me. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. 
And I, that's a wonderful passage. I'll probably be reading that uh, Sunday morning with the children when they're after they get done singing. But um, what I want to this is really yeah, Luke chapter two is a great passage. Uh, on Christmas we sit and read that passage every year. But it's the news from the heavenly host that God is sending His Son. Uh, and and what I want to point out is what um, we just heard. Jesse just read in verse fourteen. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And so, you know, God is sending his son to die on the cross. When you think about this, he knows what's going to happen before he ever steps out of the, the Godhead and, 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 and is manifest in the flesh. He knows how this is going to go. Just like I was talking about Sunday morning, he held on to the, the card that I'm the son of man and quoting Daniel uh, seven until the moment that he needed to tell the Sanhedrin, oh yeah, and by the way, I am, yeah, I am Jesus. I am the Son of Man. I am your Messiah, uh, and I'm going to sit at the right hand of glory. I'm God, you know. And they're like, blasphemy, blasphemy. Well, here he says, as, as he's being announced, um, you know, to the shepherds, he's saying, peace on earth, goodwill to man. What made it peaceful was Jesus. He's the peace. Peace on earth, goodwill toward man, and that it, he wants. Goodwill toward men. And if you just step back and look at that from a um, historical perspective and a Jewish perspective, I saw an interesting dialogue today between uh, some scholar who I don't know, a very very good apologist, and a guy named Ben, um, uh, oh gosh, what's Ben's name? Ben, Jewish fellow out of Nashville. Shapiro, yeah, yeah, thank you. So Ben Shapiro and this apologist are talking back and forth, and uh, this apologist is giving Ben a non-biblical, he's using the Bible, but it's a non-faith-based uh, reason why we believe Jesus is Messiah. Uh, and he and he gets into the, hist- histor- the hist- uh, histor- historical evidence of the Bible itself outside of the issues of its inspiration, just the actual evidence based on the documents and uh, what we know in human history. So this is just giving him a empirical evidence answer of how how legitimate uh, you know the claims of Jesus Christ are. And uh, and and at any rate it, it was an interesting exchange and and Ben Shapiro basically got cornered and just said, "Well, I'm not interested um, in this subject very much, you know, cuz cuz he knows he's right." I mean, the Bible is, I mean, it's, I mean, even the Jews historically, uh, and I'm coming back around to goodwill and peace toward men, you know, they were looking for their Messiah to set things right. They weren't really looking for peace and goodwill. They wanted to get the Romans out of their property. I mean, they were like, get off my land and uh, get out of here. Let us go on with our kingdom. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure the Romans, I know the Romans were mistreating them and, uh, and so, uh, and so it was. A, it was a situation when these angels said, "Hey, uh, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men." It's the news from the heavenly the hosts that God is sending. That you know what, my son is here. Uh, you know, and despite his perfect nature, he's sending forth his goodness to men in the form of a human baby. In spite of him, in spite of God's perfection. You know, God's perfect. I mean, he could have just said, you know, I'm going to send my son and destroy the earth. I'm tired of it. <laughs> I've had enough. 
you know. But the gift is that God does actually come to men uh, in peace and goodwill. He's coming, you know, toward us with peace and goodwill. You know what we are to do today? We're to t- we're, we are to um, uh, walk circumspectly, right? And and we're t- we're supposed to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. And when we walk toward them, what are we supposed to bring with us? Yeah, hope. What and we call that usually the gospel, right? The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's simple. It's not a trick question. So we walk in wisdom toward those that are without. The implication, as we all know, is is to get the gospel there. Like you know, I don't. God doesn't say walk in wisdom toward those that are without and take your dispensational chart. You know, walk in wisdom toward those that are without and make sure you they understand your eschatology. That's not what He does. Walking when I'm walking in wisdom toward those that are without, the main thing I'm interested in sharing with them, what's someone that doesn't know Jesus need to know? They need to know the gospel, which means good news. And so we have good news uh, toward men as well. God has given us He's goodwill. He His He had brought peace to earth and goodwill, and we bring that too. So here's ambassadors for Christ, as we know we are. Paul talks about that. We're ambassadors for Christ. We got the ministry and the word of reconciliation. But what are we actually here to do? We're here to offer peace terms to people and all men. It doesn't matter if it's Muhammad, the jihadist that wants to chop my head off. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, uh, you know, Hamas who wants to rape and pillage and plunder innocent Jewish people. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, uh, Jewish special forces that will just rip my face off if they see me in the wrong spot at the wrong time. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if they're a Democrat. It doesn't matter if they're a Republican. It doesn't matter if they're good. It doesn't matter if they're bad. At the end of the day, we're to get the gospel to the people, all men, everywhere. Because right now, right now God is offering peace terms. And whenever he's done with that, what happens next? Well, we know now. The prophecies are no longer about him coming with, well, it is, by the way, him coming in peace, but that's in the millennium. So before we get to the peaceful time, there's coming a time of judgment. And so it's really imperative right now at the end of the church age that we continue forward. And and, uh, and at the first coming of Christ, he offered peace. And before the second coming of Christ, we need to be offering peace. Because, uh, man, I tell you what, the Antichrist is going to come and say, peace, peace. And what's he going to bring? War. And it's going to be sudden destruction come upon many. So peace right now is an operative word. Uh, everybody wants world peace, but they don't want Jesus. Right? They don't want to. They don't want to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, Benjamin Netanyahu don't want to acknowledge Jesus. Benjamin uh, Shapiro don't want to acknowledge Jesus. Not as the not as Messiah. Um. And that's a lot of Christians need to understand that. Uh, our primary job is to bring the Messiah, walk in wisdom toward those that are without. And you know what? We are here in Christ's stead, reconciling men to God with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gift that God has given us to give to others. And so God sent forth his son to reconcile a world that had no means of reconciliation. There is no way in the world to reconcile with God without Jesus Christ. And there's no other message than the one that we carry, the gospel. So this child was brought forth for worship as well. The baby was destined for the altar, the cross, right? He was destined to be sacrificed as a lamb. Unlike Genesis 22, this only begotten son will be the sacrifice for sin. 
Um, and that is what makes it an unspeakable gift. Uh, look over, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. And this is a familiar, many of us, you know, we get Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. I want to go a little further down. Does anybody want to read? Uh, any other one, anyone else other than Jesse? Ephesians 2. Okay. I'll get you. Amy will run that. Amy Joe, I'm going to make you work today. I'm just making, I'm proving that there are actually people in the sanctuary tonight. I promise you, there are. <laughs> Ephesians 2, Pam, if you could read uh, 13 through 19, please. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby." And came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. How far? For uh, through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Uh, yeah, did we get to verse, are we past 19? I lost you there. Yeah, 19 is where I want to go. Now, therefore. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Okay, thank you. Sorry, we had a miscommunication there. So, all right, so I was, I was checking this out. So how many times do we see peace in that, in that reference there from verse 13 through 19? I'm going to say three times. I'm actually counting them out myself because I don't have the answer. But uh, I see it three times. Uh, in verse 14, for he, Jesus, is our peace, right, who hath made both uh, one, who, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, right? And so he did that by the blood of Christ. So it's, it's his blood sacrifice that has allowed us access, abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the war between the law of commandments contained in the ordinances for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So the dual nature uh, is brought into one man. That's Jesus Christ. He's all God and he's all flesh. And that's how, that's how we get access to the fathers through the son. And thereby, there's your, first, your second mention of peace. He is our peace and he's making peace. He's a peacemaker. Uh, so Billy Graham wrote a, a, a little tract, a little thing. I had a book many, many years ago called Peace with God. And then there's also another missions book called Peace Child. That's a good one as well. Um, and so it says that he might reconcile both, verse 16, unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace. He made peace, he preached peace to you, which were far off, and to them that were nigh, those that were near, so the Gentiles and the Jews. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Who's the both there? Yeah, the Jews and the Gentiles. So now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. So household of God is a big word 
like we're the church of the living God, so we are the ecclesia, the called out assembly. Uh, it's it's a noted to the born again believer, but the household of faith is includes even the Old Testament saints. So I can't imagine what it would feel like uh, for God to tell me that my son or my daughter must lose their lives uh, for humanity uh, to uh, for us to retain ours. I mean, can you imagine that? But that's what happened. God gave his only begotten son because he valued us too much to lose us. And, uh, man, that's amazing. So, uh, you you know, I've said this before, and I'll say it again because it's really an important principle, is we just simply cannot out God. Uh, when you get into his nature and his character, that's why when we needed a God-sized, a, a, a gift big enough to save the world, he gave a large gift uh, to take care of that. He didn't sow sparingly. Remember Paul was saying, hey, guys, you, you, if you want to reap bountifully, you need to sow bountifully. Um, you don't want to hold up here. And uh, God did not hold back. He gave the best to redeem the worst because he wanted to get dramatic results. And he's and you know what? Every time someone gets saved and receives that gift, it's a dramatic result. So James 4, 6 says this. Just to flip over to James chapter 4. Uh, and I'm going to share with you. Uh, you got to go past Hebrews, which, by the way, deals with Jesus being better. He's a better priest. He's a better sacrifice. He's he's better uh, all the way around uh, than the law. That's why he tore down that 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 wall and that partition. Uh, James chapter four, though, in verse six, the Bible says, "But he giveth more grace." Wherefore he saith, uh, "God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble." So if we deconstruct that verse, how are we going to get grace from God? If you reverse engineer it. If he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? He's going to, he's, okay, so who's the most humble man in the world? Jesus. There's no one more humble, ironically, than Jesus, who's also the most exalted man in the universe. I mean, it's amazing to think about God's humility. And I don't really think we'll appreciate it. I don't think we can appreciate it until we get to heaven. Once we get out of these bodies, because our bodies right now can't even deal. If we saw him, he, we're dead. Like, boom, if he showed up here in the flesh, we'd all burn up. I mean, we'd be gone. I mean, well, of course, there's the angel of the Lord and stuff like that. But, I mean, if, if we saw him in his glory, it, it, we would, I mean, in these bodies, we're a mess. But, nonetheless, he's this quickening spirit. Someday he'll catch us up in the air and we'll be there with him. And uh, I think then maybe we will get an idea how humble he will. Once we really see how exalted he is, man, uh, we're going to be like, whoa, what was me? And also praise the Lord, praise the God for his goodness and his unspeakable gift, unspeakable gift. All right, so he goes on in verse 7 and says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So this is real practical, too. When you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he'll exalt you in due time, but he'll also protect you. In real time, right? And so if you need protection, the place to be is in a, in a humble state before God uh, because God will he will give you peace in the midst of a war. First John 4, 4 says, You're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? So the one that's in us is, is, uh, is more powerful than anything else in this world. And so we got to understand the unspeakable uh, need 
if we're going to understand and unwrap the unspeakable gift. So if you're a note taker, that's my first point. I just made it. Uh, you got to understand their unspeakable need. We have a huge need. It's so big that God sent his son. That's a massive need because we, he, needs to make, he wants to make peace with men. He, he, Jesus is coming, and, uh, and, and his first coming was, was with goodwill toward men. Uh, he didn't come to destroy man. He came to save man. Uh, but the time is coming when he will judge, judge men. It's coming, uh, and he won't be so nice. And a lot of people are not prepared to hear that and receive that. And you know what? They need to receive the gift of God now so they don't face the wrath of God later. Uh, and it is, a, it is a bad proposition to go into eternity without reconciling with God. Saying I'm not interested in the unspeakable gift is a bad decision, Ben Shapiro. And I know he's watching because he loves to watch Hartman. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so we're talking about the gift of Christ. And uh, the unspeakable, uh, understanding our unspeakable need uh, helps us unwrap the unspeakable gift. So our, my second you know, point here is, 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 is uh, how do we unwrap this gift that God's given us? Uh, the unspeakable gift is wrapped in paper, just like the ones under your tree. Isn't that something? So uh, we're tempted to think the story of Christmas and Christ is simply a story, uh, but it isn't. It's, it's, his, it's history. It's his story. Um, it's not just a, a cunningly devised fable. It's, it's actual history. So flip over. We're here in James. Just flip back to Second Peter chapter 1. And I think you all are familiar with this passage, Second Peter 1 and verse 16. Uh, I've just alluded to this. Uh, now, I was just talking about the glory of God. Paul or Peter here is talking about, you know, the day that they saw, you know, the, the uh, in Matthew 18, or I think it's 17, when Jesus Christ, they saw Jesus uh, in his glorified state. And the father said, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. You know, Peter, be quiet, please. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and uh, they fall, you know, Peter's like, oh. I shouldn't have said anything. Um, but anyway, he's talking back. He's, he's looking back on that, and, he's, and he says this in verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter, James, and John got to see Jesus in a form um, that the others had not. They were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Uh, but he goes on to say, for we received from God the Father honor, and for he received, not we, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the voice which came from heaven uh, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. That's how we know that's Matthew 17 because uh, they heard that there in the, in the mount of transfiguration. Okay, so the facts of Jesus' life are more real than the chair that y'all are sitting on tonight or the sound booth you're standing in or the ground I'm standing on. And these things seem pretty tangible to me. If Jesus is a fable or a story, then the Bible tells us we're of all men most miserable. Uh, if this is not true, we're, we're all in a world of hurt uh, because we need this unspeakable gift. We need Jesus Christ. It takes uh, an eternal word uh, to wrap <clears throat> eternal life, man, you got to have a big a big wrapping paper to get around the problem of man's sin uh, with the uh, with the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Word of God is that is where we're going to find it. The Bible declares that the world cannot contain enough books to document 
the exploits of Jesus Christ. I often quote John twenty one twenty five when I do funerals, um, but tonight I'm going to I'm going to talk about it in a different context. Uh, in a funeral, I'm talking about um, you know the memories that we have. The Bible itself is important in that God gives us a finite amount of information about an eternal God in our Bible. In John twenty one twenty five, the Bible says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that should be written. Amen. That's the end of of the book of John in John 21 and verse 25. But everything God needs for us to know about his eternal gift is found in the pages of Scripture. So really, eternity is wrapped in paper, just like the gifts under the tree. It's in that God has given us in the in the in the word of God. Everything, it's a finite book right now. I mean, the paper, my pages are, not, not what's in it. What's in it's eternal. But this book is, is, I mean, you just look at this thing. You're like, oh, it's a book. It's got pages. It's got ink. It's got, it's just paper. It's physical. I mean, it's just a book. But yet when you read it from Genesis to Revelation, what we find is like, it, it's like, it's like, uh, who's that fellow over in uh, Great Britain? Narnia guy? C.S. Lewis, thank you. My brain's dead. Uh, C.S. Lewis, you can tell I had all this written down, right? No. Uh, so C.S. Lewis, it's like you know the, the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You just you open up this book and boom, you're like in eternal land. You're in a whole other place. I mean, you, it opens up the door uh, from the physical to the spiritual. It's all wrapped up in paper, and it's it's unbelievable what God has given us in His Word, and. Um, if you think that's cool, um, the scripture is the wrapping paper that contains the gift of God. Uh, and Psalm chapter 40 and verse 7 says, Then said I, and you guys know this verse, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. In the volume of the book is written of me. Obviously, he's saying, Lo, I come in the volume of the book is written of me. But also, I mean, you can't miss John 1 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god i mean god's word is what everything is created from there would be nothing without it i mean all things exist because of him and that's when our mind just starts to go explosionville i mean we just don't even know how to comprehend all of that but he is the fulfillment of the word the reason he fulfills the law um because he's the only perfect man. So the standard of the law can only be fulfilled in one man, and that's Jesus Christ, who was all flesh and he was all God, and he fulfilled the law. So we don't have to, because we can't. And because he loved the world, he went ahead and fulfilled the law and allow, allows us access to eternal life through his son. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. What we know about God is what's written. Uh, obviously this creation speaks and all of those things but the certainty of the words of truth he his words above his name i mean this book is amazing it's the paper that the gift is wrapped in the old testament announces the messiah i've been talking about this for the last two weeks in genesis 3 let's look back there uh turn back to genesis 3 <clears throat> genesis 3:14 the Bible says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this thing, or done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon the <clears throat> upon thy belly thou shalt go, uh, and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, 
and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And by the way, if Satan doesn't have offspring, why does he have a seed? I don't know. It's a good question. But not, I digress. So, uh, so Old Testament announces the Messiah. Uh, and he says, hey, there's, from, from the seed of a woman, there's, there's coming forth a seed uh, that's going to bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so, uh, and, and that's, what's, that's obviously a messianic prophecy of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about that on Sunday morning. But then there's the virgin birth. We also talked about that in Isaiah 7:14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I think about that. I think about men like Nicodemus, you know. Um, Nicodemus was impressed with the miracles, obviously, the signs, but he was really the words of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, that chosen movie that's, uh, or series that's out, they have a lot to do with Nicodemus in that. I haven't watched all of it, but I've seen some of those clips and what have you. And I think Nicodemus is a fascinating character because he's right there with all the other, you know, the Sanhedrin, and he's conflicted in his heart because he knows the truth. Of course, we know he comes out of the closet um, with Joseph of Arimathea there at the end. So I think he ended up probably... Who knows? You think about whatever happened to him. He may have lost everything before it was over. He may have died a martyr. We don't know. But um, but Nicodemus, um, he's a guy that that uh, you know he knows what God says is true, but he has to. He's wrestling with with what's been written of him, and you know, in, in Isaiah seven fourteen, he knows those prophecies. He knows that the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and and you know i don't think obviously as you could as you look in the gospels the uh uh when J- J- i forget what chapter it's in where um uh, nicodemus is actually advocating to give jesus a little space and they and they scoff at, at nicodemus and say well there's no prophet that comes out of galilee is it seven you think uh, john chapter seven yeah i don't know uh so we can if this was just QA, I'd look it up, but I'm going to keep moving with my point here. Um, and uh, and so, uh, but what the point is, my point is, is that at some point he had to dig into the records. He had to go, well, you know, that's a good point, if he hadn't already done it. And if he'd done it, he didn't say anything. But he would have had to dig into the records and go, well, wait, wait a minute, there isn't a, actually there is, if you go back to Judges, there are prophets that come out of Galilee, by the way. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. The point is Messiah wasn't coming out of Galilee. So in that sense, they were correct. And he was like, well, at some point, I bet he figured it out. Like he, he checked into it. And it wasn't like a, a like it wasn't like it wasn't a big deal. I mean, three kings came from the east, from Iraq or whatever, Persia, and came over and visited because this thing was so known that there was a Messiah born in Israel. I mean, the the, the messianic, the, the the eschatology, to use a, a big word, the prophecy that was very clear from Daniel, um, lined up. The timetable was right on time. They knew there was a Messiah running around Israel, and so uh, it's sort of like right now. I mean, for people, it's one thing for people to say, "Well, they've been saying my whole life that Jesus is going to come. They've been saying that for centuries." Yeah. How many of you heard that before? Oh, yeah. I heard that a lot when I first got saved. 
let me tell you something. What hasn't been going on for centuries is Israel becoming a nation uh, in 1948. What hasn't been going on for centuries is President Trump moving the, the capital of Jerusalem from Tel Aviv and declaring it is in Jerusalem. Um, not that not that it needed him to do that, but that did make a huge statement to the whole world because that aligns all the Bible prophecy. Um, every president since Harry Truman has been wanting to move it from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, but none of them had the guts to do it. And this is not a political statement, and it's not even an endorsement of Trump. I'm just saying that's that's that has to happen at some point. Because that's where the temple is going to be built, and that's where the Antichrist is going to do the abomination of desolations, and that's ground zero for uh, the second coming, without a doubt. So to sit around and go, oh, it's been like this. They've been saying this my whole life. Well, yeah, how old are you? (laughs) So, I mean, it's like this is pretty recent history. I mean, 1948 wasn't that long ago. Now, I know it seems like it if you're 20 years old, but it really wasn't that long ago, 1918, 1948. Um, and so, you know, obviously the tension and the war, the enmity, to use the Bible words that we've been reading, that's going on right now in Israel is, is going to set us up for a peacemaker. And that peacemaker is not going to be Jesus. It's not. It's going to be the wrong peacemaker. It, you know, Jimmy Carter couldn't do it. Um, you know, nobody seems to be able to bring peace because it's all being set up for the man of sin. And when he says peace and safety... So sudden destruction is going to come. Actually, in my daily reading this morning, I was just in the book of Psalm, and I believe it was chapter 54. That's the passage there where it talks about my own friend, you know, deceived me, which is a prophecy of Judas, one of my own, my equals, you know. And uh, and it was just, uh, it's just amazing to think about how Jesus walked with Judas, you know. And, uh, and of course, he knew what was going to happen. But uh, at the end of the day, um, uh, the, the Judas is going to, or not, the, the the son of perdition is going to come with peace and safety, uh, and and that's what it says. Is he he spoke so kindly to me, he was so gentle to me, and yet he had knives. He went to kill me, you know. And uh, he Satan is wicked and deceitful, and he is patient, and people need to obey the word of God. Speaking of that, since we're talking about Isaiah seven fourteen. Nicodemus would have had to dig into this and, and to figure it out. But at some point, they probably figured out, oh, well, he was born in Bethlehem. Oh, there was a, there was actually, oh, yeah, look what Herod did. This was such a big deal. It's in the public record. I'm sure there was a record somewhere that Herod sent out people to kill children. I'm sure people in Bethlehem that lost their children could remember that there was a genocide here because they thought a Messiah showed up. I mean, all of these things, these didn't happen in, like, little corners. I mean, this stuff, if someone came to Harrisonville, Harrisonville's bigger than in Bethlehem, but if someone came, it was a crossroads town like Harrisonville. If someone rolled into Harrisonville, there's 10,000 people. I don't know how many children under the age of two, two and under. But say you roll into here and you kill three, 400 little kids. Uh, we're going to remember that, especially 30 years later. That's like it happened yesterday. So there's plenty of people around to verify, oh, yeah, that happened. Uh, that did happen. Uh, but I want to talk to you about this Isaiah 7:14 as well. It says, there, "Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Signs are for the Jews. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel." Um, uh, Mary was not uh, immaculately conceived. So we got I got uh, Vicky's here, right? So yeah, so you grew up being taught about Mary being immaculate. Did you understand that Mary was immaculate supposedly? immaculately conceived or is that you did understand that that's because you were well educated 
Yeah, not everyone who's a Roman Catholic um, is is actually clear on what that really means, the Immaculate Conception. Uh, most people default to thinking that it means that Jesus was miraculously born and conceived. Yes, sir. Can we... Ron, Ron was raised Roman Catholic. He didn't... I don't know where the mic's at. You have it? That's okay. That's okay. I'll just repeat it. I, I think... For the hundreds that are watching online, um, the, is it Bobby Blaine tonight? Yeah. Annette, hey Annette, hey Bobby. Oh, that's not bad. Awesome. Well, it's good to have y'all. So, uh, what we're talking about, we have some, uh, you know, and I, I just want to be clear: we love Roman Catholics here. We got a lot of them in our church, but they're born again. <laughs> so, but we're talking about the education level and the understanding of this term I'm about to talk about in regard to the prophecy of the birth of Jesus and being, quote, immaculately conceived, um, it's not really dealing with his birth. It's dealing with the the concept of the immaculate conception is dealing with the fact that, the the, and this isn't, don't get mad at me, this is the Catholic doctrine, not what I believe. The Catholics believe and teach, I don't know if they believe it, but they teach that that Mary was herself uh, miraculously conceived so she could have a sinless son of God. Um, And so... The Immaculate Conception is actually a false doctrine. And so I want to read this because I don't want to, I, this, I don't, so you guys know I'm not just like pulling this. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And if you do, use the, use the mic so that the Bobby and them can hear. But let me read this first. Immaculate Conception, this is the false doctrine. In the Constitution, uh, ineffableist dose of, of 8 December... Um, 1854, Pope Pius IX pronounced and defined that the Blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instance of her conception, by a singular privilege and grace granted by God in the view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved exempt from all stain of original sin. So that is, that is the teaching. Such is the meaning of the term immaculate conception taken from the Catholic Encyclopedia. So just look it up yourself. Yeah, so in essence, the teaching is that Mary was born sinless, so she could do the, so she could be the mother of God. And uh, I, I've had this discussion with some other, uh, I would, and I say, well, well-educated Catholics, meaning they actually understand the doctrine of the Catholic Church, like Vicky uh, did. Uh, it's not just because you were 18; it's because you obviously studied. Were you in parochial school? Then you paid attention. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I know a lot of, uh, like, Pat Shell would have understood that, too. She was super, like, they did the rosary. They made sure they lived inside of the church. I mean, they had all kinds of, they were, she was steeped in, in a lot of that, more of the, uh, the ritualistic side of things. But, um, yeah, so, you know, the reason it's interesting that, that Vicky knows that is because a lot of, as a Catholic, you don't have to really know the doctrine. You just need to show up and take the and take communion because the church is covering it for you. It's okay for you to be in darkness because the church handles. That's what the priest is there for. He's there, the advocate. He's there to be your propitiation. You know, the church takes care of that. As long as you're a good church member, you're fine, which is the deception, you know, because Jesus is the only one that can save us. It's not a works of righteousness that we do. And so... Um, Okay, so the the future of the baby, did you have anything to say or ask about that before I move on? 
There's no question that is dumb or stupid. <laughs> and I know you're not about to ask one of those. So if Mary, okay, so why don't we know anything about Mary's mom who would have, wouldn't she have needed to be a virgin too, to have been, and then her mom? If you're following the, the, the Immaculate Conception? Yeah. That is actually a very insightful question. I've never thought about that, but it would have to have gone back, like, when did that happen? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I, and that's, um, you know, the, to answer that, I would I would appeal to paganism because this it's really just a pagan construct. Uh, but I don't think that, um, I don't know that, that that's addressed by the Roman Catholic Church, so I don't really know. So I'm, I'm actually ignorant of do you have any thoughts beyond her? Now, the Pope did, did say that it's kind of imputed under her, Mary, to be sinless from birth. Um, so it's not necessarily, it doesn't say anything about her. Um, but the, the the wickedness of it is that they go on to teach she's the, the queen of heaven, literally, which is a exactly the same name as Astaroth. And, uh, and so... Or and if you want to use a different Greek name, Aphrodite, and so which is a fertility goddess. <laughs> so I mean that's where it gets really wicked. Um, and so and if you go back, which I don't even want to get into, uh, and then you get into you know the pagan view of Aphrodite and or Ashtaroth and and the offspring, then it gets even more perverse. Then you get into to uh, uh, what do you call it? incest and all kinds of nasty stuff so it's it's just wicked it's wicked and wrong and it's sad to it's just it's just the devil trying to mar the beautiful truth of god's word you know so that's why you know i think in this in this case i'm ignorant number one beyond what i just read uh but number two it's probably wise let's just be wise concerning good and simple concerning evil because really the more you dig into that the more wicked it gets and 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 it's just not true and so let's not defile our conscience any further with that. So uh, the further the, ba- the the future of the baby Jesus, though, you know, in the scripture, when we're talking about the gift, it actually starts to get unwrapped through the revelation of God's word. And to to be a little redundant from uh, two weeks ago, uh, Isaiah nine six, and you guys know that verse. It's the one we're, we've been keying on on Sunday mornings. For unto us a child is born, unto us. A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so um, I, I point this out because I'm also, Isaiah 7.14 comes before Isaiah 9.6, um, and, um, and then that comes before Daniel. Right? Those are pre-captivity books. So even in a chronological perspective, what is God doing? This is a... This is also a nice thing to think about with your Bible. Even in the Revelation, God is revealing. It's called progressive uh, revelation. He's progressively revealing what he's doing in time. And, and in this case, it's the Old Testament dispensation. And what's he basing that on? Well, he's basing his revelation. He's working it in with the response of Israel. If you've been coming on our Egypt study, I've been hitting hard on you know, I keep reminding everybody of Ephesians 4.21 or Exodus 4.21-22 there where it says that Israel is a son, is a son, is a son. Well, Israel's decisions as a group is like an individual today in the New Testament as an individual. Our decisions impact God, God's plan. 
Now, God's going to fulfill his word regardless, but he's taking into account Israel's obedience and or disobedience as he is fulfilling his plan because they are a part as his son of what he has revealed God's going to do. Because we know through the seed of a woman in Genesis 3, right? That's the first layer of wrapping. There's going to come a seed, a promised seed that's going to destroy Satan. And then you got to clip that bow off and boom, now we know that it's going to be a baby This is going to come forth of a virgin, a sign. And then we rip that off and then we start going over here and start getting under the next layer of uh, paper. And then we find out this child is, is, a, is a son that's given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace. We've been talking about peace. Man, what in the world? And then we keep going, and in Daniel 9.25, Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, and, a, and the, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. So in Daniel 9.25, God gives it, you unwrap that gift even more, and now you've got a time frame, like you know the due date. In 40 weeks, this child's going to be born. Not literally in 40 weeks, but I'm just saying um, it, uh, it's given you the time frame for Jerusalem. Um, th- uh, seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Um, and and the, uh, the return of Ezra and the temple. And then, of course, it lays out the Messiah to the day, even of his crucifixion in Daniel. And the location of Jesus' birth was unwrapped in Micah. You keep going in Micah 5. But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands. This is Micah 5, 2. Of Judah, yet thou shalt, uh, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is, be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And what I like about this too is when you consider this whole issue of God's revelation and progressively revealing it to man, to to Israel in this case, all these are, are prophecies to the nation of Israel. That's why He came to His own; His own received Him not. Um, he's really also then who else is aware of this plan? Who else is looking at the gift? Satan, right. So he's progressively, I'm sure Satan was tuned in from Genesis 3. Oh, my, you think my demise, my demise is coming from the seed of a woman? Well, who is she? Where is she? And, of course, he knows from Genesis chapter, I think, 49 that it's through Judah, right? Uh, through Shiloh is going to come through Judah, Judah, and the scepter will never depart, right? So through Judah. And then he knows that it's going to come through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah. Uh, then, it, then he goes all the way. Through, now he knows it's going to be in Bethlehem. It's going to be of a virgin. Those are all things that, that, that not only Israel was privy to in the word of God, if they would unwrap the gift, but also Satan was privy to. So God told Jesus' relatives uh, what was wrapped up in the word. He told uncle, and I'm not going to have time to read these for time's sake, but he told uncle Zacharias in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, in 76, he proclaimed that, hey, there's gonna, the Messiah is coming. He told his Aunt Elizabeth, Aunt Elizabeth in Luke 142. He told Mary in Luke 131 and 35. And he told Joseph in Matthew 120 through 21. This is a holy child. This is the Messiah. This is, uh, this is, the, this is, this is the hope of Israel. Right? This is the peace. This is the peace child. So God told the shepherds uh, what was wrapped in Luke 2. We read it earlier, Luke 2, 10 through 12. And God told those who were already, um, <clears throat> uh, those who already knew how to unwrap the, the word, what time it was. 
Because the wise men already figured it out in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And they came. Simeon was waiting for Jesus. He'd already understood all this. Anna, the faithful widow of 87 years, waited at the temple, and God allowed her to see Jesus. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 23. So uh, maybe maybe this this evening you're, you are in the family of God and you're saved, but you've never really unwrapped the entire gift. Has God shown you who Jesus Christ is? And, and what does that really mean to you? Has the message of Christ's birth caught you by surprise this evening? And I, I think in this room it probably hasn't. But maybe somebody's listening online and you're just really figuring this thing out. That man, lo, I come in the volume of the book it's written of me. Has the message of Christ's birth caught you by surprise this evening? Maybe you're, you're just minding your business and, and, and listening online or sitting here in the church and God has, has busted through your brain into your heart and just showed you the importance of Jesus Christ. That it's not just a cute little story. It's not just you know some little baby sitting out in the yard at someone's house out front in the cold. Maybe maybe you're a faithful student. Maybe you're like Anna or you're like Simeon, and, and you know God's word. Are you ready for his return? Am I ready for his return? I don't know about that. I need to pray about that a little more and do what I need to do. We should be like like those wise men, like Simeon, like Anna. We should know the times and the seasons because, beloved, now is the time. I mean, he's coming, as I was talking a minute ago. So let me wrap this up because we just got a few minutes. So when we talk about the gift of Christ, understand our unspeakable need and our unwrap the unspeakable gift, which is found in the Word of God. But let's uh, let's just finish here with a little bit of praise. We got we got five minutes or less to do this. So when we realize the precious nature of Christ is is a cause for for praise, man. That is what it's all about. Look at me. Uh, well, I don't. I don't. Yeah. Look at Luke chapter one. I don't have time to, to, to get into all the verses here, but I want to just point out one. Uh, Luke chapter one, and go down to verse sixty-four. And if we if we had time to read one through twenty, that would be great. Um, but uh, we don't. Uh, you get to verse sixty-four, though. It says in this, and and this is dealing with. Zacharias, it says in, uh, well, let's back up to verse 61. It says, and they said unto her, there is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to, to his father how uh, he would have him called. And this is dealing with Zacharias, dealing with John the Baptist. And, his, uh, <clears throat> and it says, and he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth opened immediately and his tongue loosed. And he spake and he praised God, right? And so now this is dealing with John, but when we realize the precious nature of Christ, it's a cause for praise. Because if you go back and read through the context here, Zacharias uh, in verse 18 is made aware, and he says unto the angel, Where, whereby shall I, uh, shall I know this? I am old, I'm an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, uh, that stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee and show thee uh, the uh, these things or these glad tidings and behold thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not in my words which thou hast fulfilled in their season so he's not able to even share the good news because he was unbelieving uh, when gabriel came to visit him about john being the forerunner of the messiah but boy once he got this thing uh, you know when he could he praised god as soon as zachariah could he prays the, the God. And uh, you know what happens when we grieve and quench the spirit? Man, what you know how you need to get over that is praising God. 
Um, and so maybe maybe someone tonight's can grieve in the spirit. What you got to do is confess your sin and allow God to unleash his power in your life and praise God. We should un, we should unleash unending praise. Philippians 4 and verse 4 tells us rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We're going to be doing this for eternity. And the eternity began the moment we got saved. So we got to begin now. So every Sunday morning, you know, people say worship isn't just the singing. And that's absolutely true. Worship is, a, is giving our life to the Lord. And so there is much more to it than singing. But you know what? Singing is a part of it. And it's how we sing. Uh, and it is what we sing. Uh, and it's not just in our singing. It's in, a, in the lips of our mouth. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, the Bible says rejoice evermore rejoice evermore rejoice always rejoice evermore it's a command but you can't unleash you can't unleash unending praise if you've never received a gift of eternal life the reason that zacharias could praise god is because he was receiving uh, the gift not only of a son but the gift of the messiah so you you in in uh, john three sixteen, we know what the bible says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so the gift is god there's no works required uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes it clear. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then we understand the nature of our need <clears throat> in Romans three twenty three, For all of sin comes short of the glory of God, and we choose the gift of eternal life because we understand the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's when we come and we call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10, to be saved. <clears throat> and you see that is super clear in the Bible. And that's how we unwrap the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas. So as we as we conclude, um, what we need to do <clears throat> is understand our unspeakable need, unwrap the unspeakable gift, and unleash the unending praise. Tonight there might be somebody we need to pray for that doesn't know Jesus, hasn't received the gift of eternal life. On this prayer list, I'm not going to read their names off. But we have a we have on the salvation list. We probably have over twenty people right here that aren't even that aren't saved that we're praying for. Some of these are our family members, our friends, our relatives, people we love and care about. And we need to make sure that we're walking in wisdom toward those that are without. We have the only in a world that is, um, you know, in a world of turmoil, in a world that needs peace, in a world that's going to receive false peace. And we are the only people. We're ambassadors for Christ, and we bring. The message of the Prince of Peace and the Lord and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we have that gift right here in the paper. We need to help people unwrap it, starting with the simple gospel message, the good news, as we take it uh, to the world. Because Jesus, when he came to those shepherds, <clears throat> you know what? He said, peace. The angel said, peace and goodwill toward men. Praise God that he has come to bring peace. Because I tell you what, when he comes to bring a sword, uh, there is no getting in his way. And so, man, we are so fortunate on this side of the cross uh, to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior and to have the gift of eternal life. Amen? All right, so that is my uh, my admonition on, on Christmas uh, as we get ready for Christmas Eve service coming up Sunday. Looking forward to that. Make sure you come out with your family and your friends. We'll have gifts for the children. We'll have a little coffee bar out in the sanctuary. We'll be, if uh, We aren't going to have the 9 o'clock service, but you can get here early and uh, enjoy coffee and tea if you're a tea drinker, uh, and uh, other beverages uh, of the non-alcoholic variety. And uh, they'll all be up in the foyer, and it'll be a good time had by all, and we will be drunk in the spirit, and uh, and we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there you go. All right, so let's uh, have a word of prayer.
And I hope you guys enjoyed the study tonight. Uh, next week, I will say this as well. Next week, we'll begin Mission Focus on Wednesday night. Uh, the preaching will be commenced, so we will be streaming that, I think, uh, in the booth. Are we going to be able to stream that in? Okay. So we're going to stream that in. So uh, be here. Don't be square. And uh, that will be a good time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father.